0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today is my great pleasure to have Jack Weber on the show. Welcome, Jack. Jeremy, it's a pleasure to be here. also have my trusty co-host, Amanda Georgiouf. Welcome, Mandy.
1: Hi, Jeremy.
0: I've introduced Mandy many times before. She's one of our enterprise sales leaders. Jack is the Senior Vice President of Sales at RealPage, and they are a global provider of software and data analytics to the real estate industry. We're going to talk about a lot of things, in particular, how reps should leverage the executive leaders as executive sponsors on deals as one of the things. And then we'll talk a lot about mentorship, too. But Jack, tell us something a little interesting about your philosophy and your background.
2: Certainly I will. I would say that uh, from a philosophy standpoint, if I were to be hopeful in how people would look at me or how I like to self-describe myself, that would certainly be something in and around servitude leadership. That's something that uh, I believe soundly in. So I spent the first 15 years of my career primarily in advertising and marketing sales. Uh, and those were in consumer-driven uh, website businesses. And about six and a half years ago, I made the transition because I was super interested and keen to you know, continue to expand my skill set and transition over into SaaS. And that was how I found RealPage. And I've been on this journey of uh, really diving deeper into the real estate industry and transitioning much more of my skill set that I think was very applicable in transactional selling, inside selling, the early days of you know what we like to call uh, high-velocity selling, sales specialization, which didn't have all those cool buzzwords and terminology back then, but to be able to apply that in now in an environment of SaaS, that seems like something that's awfully clever and new to this whole segment is something that uh, that I enjoy doing.
0: Yeah. You, when you mentioned servant leadership, I was just having a conversation with somebody yesterday and he's a brand new sales leader and he works in a family company. So kind of got a very senior position, deservedly so at a young age, but he knows he needs to learn. Like he's not going into it blindly. And we were talking about servant leadership and and he was under the impression that like servant leaders obviously care deeply about others, but he was really having trouble challenging his team. So what do you say to servant leaders who feel that servant leadership is like all love and no challenge? The most important thing
2: is that you have a genuine genuine care and passion for the individual like that's got to be real for you if you're trying or pretending to that be something that is an important component to how you work with and develop people that will come through. So, you know, for me, I've just figured out, you know, a way because of those gifts being sort of bestowed to me early on in my career, where I am genuinely interested in watching that person that I'm working with develop, achieve and aspire and become something that they've sort of outlined or you know, were aspirationally thinking about for themselves, even if it went back to the interview process that I had with them. And that being said, I think servitude leadership is gotta be balanced like all things for you know, effective uh, executive leaders. And that is sort of on this balance beam of the difference between leadership and management. And you can definitely tilt you know, to this concept and this idea of servitude, but you also have to be able to strike a good balance on all things that are management related and expectation driven. And I think if you set extremely high expectations for yourself, then that will convey into the care and the passion that you have for the individual that you're working with. And the end goal of that will be a collection of those two things where they know you care. And because of that care that you've invested in them and the time that you've taken with them, they don't want to let you down. And holding people, I think, highly accountable and having high expectations for the folks that you choose to invest and spend your time to all sort of comes together and has a payoff for all individuals.
1: Jack, I, I think about it also sort of akin to objection handling and sales, right? If I'm truly as a seller invested in my prospects outcomes and their success, then they're telling me whatever this objection is, it's not my job to handle it. Like it's actually my job to help them solve it. And I think about if I truly envision myself as like physically sitting on the same side of the table as my prospect, and they're telling me I don't see how, you know, your product or solution can solve this problem for me. Here's a gap I'm having. You know, if you're having that authentic conversation about getting to the right outcome for your prospect, sometimes that involves tough conversations. And I I relate a lot of that to the experiences I have now managing sellers, which is we're on the same team. We are physically sitting on the same side of the table and we're both working towards the same outcome. And it's just my job to help that person solve that problem. Yeah, I think,
2: uh, you know, whether we call it, you know, tough talk or holding people accountable, like this is part of the learning process. And these are teachable moments. It strikes a chord from just personal experiences. And uh, I will say, you know, I think back to the folks who had invested and taken the time to help develop me along my professional journey. As sales folks, we're usually and typically pretty ego-driven. And we love to be rewarded and we love to hear all of the good things that we're doing. We love sales leaderboards. We love sales contests annual achiever programs, like that's kind of the the gas that fueled the tank, if you will. But for those folks whom I still endear today as sort of mentors, it was in those moments where I felt I had fallen short, or that I had disappointed them, that were the real teaching moments for me. And it was that kind of impact for the person who I viewed as sort of this servitude leader, that when I didn't hold up my end of the bargain, I felt like I owed them something the last thing I wanted to do was let down. And when I did, I had just a burning passion to make sure I was writing whatever that was and coming out on the other side of that.
0: We're gonna to get to those people who have had a tremendous impact on you and what it was about them and what did you learn from them. Before we do that, I do wanna spend a little bit of time on this topic of executive sponsorship. I think there's at least two pieces to this. One is when should reps pull execs in for alignment? And then the other thing is, what's the duty of the leader? in that relationship. So let's start with the first thing. When do you want your reps to bring you in for executive alignment?
2: Ideally, and uh, this is going to be unique to me, I don't have a specific vertical and a specific team trying to achieve a specific market. And I have three or four different sales teams doing three or four different things. I've got enterprise level sellers. I've got high velocity inside sales reps. I've got teams in Manila that are doing lead qualification at the very top of the funnel. Uh, But I would say, you know, to to answer the question, it's probably most applicable when I think about my quota-carrying ARs, maybe in my SMB division and in my enterprise divisions. And for me, just based on where I can bring value and how engaged I can be with the multitude of deals that we've got running in, I'm typically trying to, uh, I'm I'm hoping to be brought in on our most critical and most strategic deals. Uh, My reps will typically bring me in when we are reviewing Pipeline. And we are looking at sort of our strategic plan and those accounts that fall into a strategic sort of win-loss on the year. And throughout the course of the year, that's probably 20 deals for me. And that's at the level that I'm at. You know, I've got frontline managers, you know, who are going to be involved in those deals, you know, hundreds of them. Um, So I think it's really, it's at what level of executive sponsorship we're trying to identify here. But for me individually, given the level of responsibility and the breadth of it, that's about where I have to be careful of protecting my time and ensuring that I am not overextending and detracting the deal from moving forward by not having enough insights into what's going to move the deal forward.
0: What about for you, Mandy? When do you call in, you know, reinforcements? Because now you're called in, I guess, as reinforcements. But when do you pull in, uh, you know, our our CPO or our our CRO or or our CEO, like when do you kind of support your reps in getting those resources pulled into deals?
1: It's a great question because I I, I transitioned this year where I'm now leading a team of folks that used to be my peers. Um, And I was a, a, a high performer. And so I had to be very intentional about when I get involved, making sure I don't just become like super rep, right? Like making sure I don't jump in and try to take over the deal myself. I have to be very thoughtful in preparation with my rep about with the reps that I'm managing now, like what role do you want me to play? On this call, and like, what is my reason to be here? And who am I? Am I aligned with someone? Am I delivering a particular message? I don't just want to get on and sit on the screen and be a face. Like, I should have some sort of specific role. I think a lot about timing, right? I kind of want to be brought in early and then maybe absent a little bit and then come back in towards the end in order to make some impact. A frontline manager, right? I do, and then I think a lot about where do I bring in our CRO? Um, and also, let's make sure we don't. Uh, become overconfident in exact alignment. Let's make sure that we have built such a strong case as a seller that we are you know, spider webbing this account, right? That we have ins and we are creating value with multiple stakeholders and we are not over reliant on an exact leader to exact leader moment to seal the deal for us. Like it's it's our responsibility as a seller to make that one part of the process.
0: Yeah, yeah. To double click on it, I'm a, obviously a process propeller head at the at this point in my life. I didn't used to be, which is uh was always propeller headed, just not process headed. But let's let's take a let's break this down process wise to kind of pre, during, and post. So in advance of where Jack, where they're going to put you in front of whatever the CEO or whomever the key executive decision maker is and the customer, what expectations do you have of the rep and what expectations do you have of yourself in advance of the meeting?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, along the way, we will be sort of touching base on the opportunity as it's sort of progressing at critical stages. So there will always be a way on these sort of key strategic deals where I'll have some pulse of how they're progressing, what's important, how we've been doing and sort of shaping and structuring the deal. Uh, So as long as I am doing that with regular communication on the right deals with my sellers, I think there's a pretty good baseline understanding of what's critical and what's important. You know, That being said, there should be a very purposeful and a very specific strategic pre-plan on how and when some of the things that Amanda had mentioned that you as an executive sponsor or senior leader are going to come in and add value to the situation and not find yourself in sort of superhero clothes where your rep is relying on, now that I've got Jack or Amanda on the call. Like I'm, I just got to let this thing happen, and, and and magic will occur. Sometimes I know, certainly that a management will do those things, and it's kind of fun, it's rewarding. But that's not the repeatable process, nor the habits that I think you want to create among your sales team to be so
0: reliant on you to come in and, and help and afford them to do that. Moving from the the sort of pre to the during, what does it look like during those meetings? Do you want the rep to be there? Is it just you and the fellow executive? Is there an agenda? Just give us a little bit. And, and you know, Mandy, feel free to jump in too, like a little bit of perspective on how those exec, two exec meetings go.
2: Certainly, I want the rep to be there, right? I want the rep to be uh, viewed upon with a level of equal business stature. I want to ensure that they are quarterbacking and commanding the deal and that they have that sort of credibility. And uh, it would be critical for me to ensure, you know, that they're there unless there's sort of some pre-existing relationship. You know, in a lot of these scenarios I've worked with or I've bumped into, or I've been on panels or I've been at trade shows with these folks. So there's different angles and there's different avenues with which you get to that setting. But a typical and standard sort of deal progression, I think it's unequivocal that the rep should be there. The rep should be controlling the conversation. Absolutely an agenda right? And I need to review and see the agenda in advance. And, um, those things I think are just table stakes that, uh, would, would be a part of sort of pulling in the exec. And typically in most of the scenarios where where I find myself today, and again, product and industry is going to drive this. It's not usually one-to-one. It's never usually me and the CFO or me and the CEO. It's an executive team and a couple of us sellers on the other side. So it's broader than just, uh, Jack coming in and talking with the CFO, the COO, or the CEO and uh, trying to progress that thing forward. It's a full, typically C and executive level conversation where you need to be kind of cognizant of the different personas. And the different things that are important to each of those different individuals, and what they're reviewing as a part of this deal evaluation.
0: There's an impression that you stay away from the technical weeds during those types of meetings. I'm curious how often things get technical.
2: That's going to be on the leader, you know, on the executive who's who's being brought in, and they have to know where their skill set and where their level of expertise is. If I know that there's a technical conversation that's starting to take place because there's a CTO or a CIO on the phone and it's outside my boundaries, then I am by all means not going to pretend or portray myself as somebody who has the answers. What I appreciate and what I highly value is trust, honesty, and transparency. And I think those sort of core values in those messages and how you're communicating them will play really well in the trust build part of the relationship, which is happening at every selling moment as well. And if there's a more technical conversation that needs to take place, then I will let them know that there is a person that's better equipped to have that conversation. And I will facilitate bringing that person to get those questions
1: answered. Jack, how did you make this transition as a leader? This year, you've transitioned to a part of the business where you're not as comfortable. I I think about that Mm -hmm. for myself as a leader, where I'm leading a team that sells a platform that I'm super comfortable with. And I wonder, what would you tell me if I were transitioning in to go lead a team where I don't know the product? or the customer or the persona as well? Like, I guess the, the phrase Kyle or CEO says, like, how do you learn at a rate faster than your
2: own experience? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I was excited for the opportunity to learn new things, take on a new challenge. just something that's real. Sort of get my mindset right about going from not even understanding the 90 different products that comprise the platform to I could demo the platform. First and foremost, it was me just getting back to a point where I could be comfortable being uncomfortable and recognizing that's okay. That's okay, right? This was the transition that I was going through and the learning that was going to be a part of this new experience and process. So sort of three things, blue collar work ethic. You'll always hear me talk about that. Whether it's me or skill sets that I'm looking for when I'm trying to hire people, I'm looking for folks who wake up in the morning with a level of intrinsic motivation that they're always going to be driven to sort of do the things that don't cost anything, that aren't skill-based. And this year I've had to grind very, very hard because I was trying to shorten a learning curve that I knew could be complex and would be long. And while I'm not there, I've come light years in the last 10 months or 11 months in this role about my understanding. And the the reward of that journey is all your previous experiences and all the other places you've plugged in value. Now these aha moments, these light bulbs start going off about how you can do that again in this new segment. And that's so rewarding to be able to identify and find them out. The other one is I just had to, you have to continue to be an adult learner. I did go to college for six years, man, as you know, right? And I don't understand why anybody would want to do it for less. (laughs) Now I have to compartmentalize time to spend learning my new product portfolio and learn a new vertical and segment and learn a different way with which my own internal company operates inside of that segment. You know, you get to a point where you're either willing to continue to learn and put the hard work in to do that or you're not. But you can't fake it. Like if I, if I wasn't doing that this year and genuinely trying to learn new things, I'd have been exposed. And uh, quite frankly, I just couldn't live with myself if that was the case. I need to feel comfortable that, you know, I've got credibility with the people that I'm leading. And uh, this year I've tried to get to the very front line of just leading by example in the learning of uh, our company, this particular segment, the products that, you know, compromise this portfolio or consist in this portfolio. And that was, that's kind of how I've done it. It was scary. My managers, you know, all are, are running at a, a pace faster than me and they they understand how to navigate things and, you know, it was a little bit unnerving. You have to stay, I think, patient and committed to uh, the things that have gotten you to the position that you're in and know that those skill sets will play and uh, just stay diligent towards using that as fuel for the fire that, you know, it gets you to a point to this, I think, as Kyle said, this rapid assimilation of information.
0: Just for completeness. Uh, Since we were asking about pre, during and post of the executive alignment, then we'll talk about mentorship, maybe one nugget on expectations that you have of yourself or of your reps following an exec alignment meeting.
2: Immediately thereafter, a download, Uh, you know, sort of a reconciliation where everybody's, you know, now making sure that we are aligned. We've downloaded on what just happened. You know, there's an opportunity for teachable and learning moments. There's an opportunity while it's fresh in everybody's mindset to think about next steps. So I got off of a call this morning, early this morning, and while I had to you know, immediately sort of get through what just happened in those two and a half hours, my duty and responsibility was to ensure that unwaveringly, we had a progressive next steps and actions that we were going to continue to take to follow through on this deal and this opportunity. So for me, immediately after any of these calls that I'm on, as soon as the execs, from you know said company have exited i'm immediately downloading with the team that's been a part of that what did we do well where did we struggle what are our next action steps how do we ensure that we keep ourselves in a leadership position here and those are those are the moments you know that i think you know are are rewarding and fulfilling and become teachable moments
0: either for you or for the teams that you lead you mentioned that you had sort of three people that had incredibly high impact on your career and your professional life so just love to get a little bit of insight into what you learned from them and, and how you continue to be, you know, both a mentor and a mentee. For sure.
2: I would say the first person was my first sales manager. When I was carrying a bag, I was the definition of probably that challenging pain in the butt sales representative. I kind of felt like as long as I was exceeding and delivering the number, top dog on the sales board, as they say, you know, back then, then the rules weren't necessarily the same for me. And uh, I thought that that was real. And uh, thankfully, you know, this person was able to just sort of pull me aside and get me thinking about what my actions and my presence and the way I conducted and handled myself had on an impact to my teammates and to what he was trying to create from an overall culture and team organization standpoint. And when I started thinking about more than myself, you know, and which is, you know, I was, I was a young salesperson at the time. and just trying to make a lot of money and, you know, wasn't really listening to anybody trying to tell me how to do it as long as I was having success. That conversation resonated with me. And I realized that my ability to be impactful beyond just, you know, the uh, winning a deal was was something that I would start to think about. Now, beyond that, this, you know, he was such an energetic, and this is going to sound strange, but just a little bit goofy. And, uh, you know, he would just bring so much dynamic life and environment to, we were an inside sales organization. It was probably a 1200 square foot office and there was eight of us in there and we'd have headsets on kind of like climbing under the desk to try to get a little bit of quiet to you know, continue to do what we were doing. But he just figured out a way through his style to make it enjoyable and fun and exciting and made work destination. So I literally got up in the morning and wanted to go to work because I loved hanging out with these people. I loved being put in a position where you could have a little hero ball and you could be successful. And all of that was facilitated by him and how he kicked us off in the morning, how he talked to us like people, how he didn't take himself too seriously, how he always stopped to make sure that there was an equal balance of fun that was added to the hard stuff that we were doing. And uh, that was something where I just like, that played for me. And I enjoyed that, and uh, he was someone who got me thinking about things in ways that I never thought about them before. And uh, having a living, breathing, dynamic sales environment, I learned there from him, and has been sort of the hallmark of you know how I assess whether or not we're successful when I hear my sales floor. It's either alive, people are loving it they' you know, they're picking up in song with me, or they're not, and uh, that's kind of uh, in how and in where I got sort of the appreciation for that. The next one was, you know, when I was, when I was a sales rep and thinking, you know, I wasn't thinking about the transition, but somebody sort of picked up very quickly and uh, started this manager and training program. And it was no formulated process or way. It was just that I was fortunate that I had the right person who saw something in me and thought that there was potential beyond being an individual contributor. And that person just sat down and taught me pieces of the business that as a seller, you never think about. I won't bore you too much with the details about the kind of operation we were, but just took me and spent time teaching me every other department and how they were co-related and how communication between them made for, you know, a harmony inside of an organization that it wasn't just you, Jack, out there on the phone getting a deal through for us. Like these five other things had to be in unison in order for it to work together. And that got me really thinking about organization building and how, your impact could be far superior to that, to what you do, you know, carrying an individual bag. Um, and there was lots of lessons. That person, you know, was was someone who was just profoundly impactful and is one of those people, right, who throughout my career, I would love to get the kudos or the attaboys from, but if I disappointed that person, man, did that just wear me out. And uh, those were things that, you know, taught me how to be better and do things to our earlier conversation. And the last one was, you now, I continued to sort of climb the responsibility ladder inside the organization. I was still relatively, back then, sort of a young manager, and I was now running the whole organization, the company. And uh, one of the folks who was reporting to me was someone who just, you know, used to joke with me. He's like, you know, Jack, this hair didn't get gray overnight. You know, there's a lot that you can draw from and learn if you just sat down and wanted to listen. And at the time, you know, I was caught between this sort of like rise professionally where, uh, some of my habits from my early sales days started to creep back in where I thought, I know what I'm doing. I'm on this journey. I'm building an organization. And uh, he really got me to see the, the genuine benefit of taking a breath, slowing down, and how experiential types of things uh, were critical to folks who were looking at impacting the lives and building organizations. And that's something that I've learned. Like, I see lots of really, really talented people. And I'll often assess and say, The only thing they're missing is is the things that you can only gain through experience. And uh, I learned that by sitting down and listening to this person forced me to be introspective about myself. Here's the common thread across all three of these people. Each and every one of them took the time when they didn't have to, to spend and invest in me. And that is something that I can't tell you the value that I place on that. And one of the things that, If I'm going to be successful in life, then paying that forward is something that is probably the most critical moment or item on my checklist of how I'm doing. Uh, They didn't need to do that. They took their time uh, to to do it. And there's no question. I'm not sitting here on this podcast with you. I don't think about the impact or my career professionally or, or personally and the ways that they've impacted without them. To have those three sorts of influences, man, it's special. It's special, and if you've had the good fortune of having great mentors in your career, uh, then I think you know it's just it's you. You can't get away from the fact of trying to give that to other people, and that's my life's
0: purpose now. That's
1: so good. You're very inspiring, Jack <laughs> Weber. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know how to follow that other than to to maybe summarize a little bit. And I and I I love your final message there about paying it forward. I think that's uh, it's all about karma at the end of the day. Uh, the three things that you learn that I think are so important. One is to be an energy creator, and I, I find that this is actually one of the things that holds people back in in their careers so much. Is that they 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 play the devil's advocate or they talk behind the backs of other people, and it, it's so common. And yet, I think it's the people who are always mindful of creating energy in the room that that are the ones who are are given the opportunity to lead others. Uh, the second thing that I, I thought I, I completely agree with is, is that broadening of the perspective towards that internal cross-departmental collaboration. As you progress in your career, those softer skills become so much more important than the technical skills. And we've talked about that that already. It's not that technical skills aren't important, but they're complementary. And then, yeah, the last thing yeah, is, to, is to seek the wisdom of experience. Even if those people are are reporting to you, right? Like they have experience. Don't Don't think that you're that you know more than they do just because you, you, you're you in a higher position of authority in the company that those people offer incredible value.
1: You didn't say it, Jack, but one of the things I've observed about you, like you, you're you someone who creates so much positivity and enthusiasm and excitement. And and sometimes I think it hurts dismiss positivity, but it's something that is, is super meaningful to me too, as a seller and as a sales leader, is to be part of a really positive sales culture and um, what it does make you want to get up and go to work in the morning, right? to create... It's something that I look for, uh, when I, and and something that I hope to create as a leader is to replicate that spirit of just excitement and enthusiasm and positivity. Like it's not soft skill, uh, right. Like it's, it's actually really meaningful.
2: Absolutely. Just the fact that you can put a smile on somebody's face, it's gonna, you know, their, their motivation and their desire to want to do something a little bit more to give back. It's, it's amazing how that, how that simple thing gets you a payback that is, uh, It's not
0: something that's typically measured. Jack, thank you so much for being on. Again, that was Jack Weber. He is the SVP of sales at RealPage. And of course, my co-host, Mandy. Thank you guys both so much.
2: Jeremy, Mandy, loved it. It's a great pleasure to be able to do this with you. Had a lot of fun today. Thank you, Jack.
0: Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.